0: You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples
1: through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're reading from Matthew 18, uh, verses five through 20 today. So this is in page, on page 773 of the, the hardback Bibles, uh, if you're using one of those. So Matthew 18, verse five. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church." And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. These are the the very words of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, It's a wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, We have baptisms to rejoice in today. And uh, God, we just thank you for this church body, that we are many members in one body. And and I just pray that this text uh, would just work in our hearts this morning. God, that you would uh, convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would lead us more and more uh, into the knowledge of your truth and knowledge of you. God, I pray also for... um, all of the lives of the people in this room, that you would use them wherever they are, the working, uh, raising families, uh, all the things that they do, and serving and caring for people. God, and I pray that uh, just in, in the pursuit of you and, and seeking to glorify you, God, that we would even impact people of this very building in Central Middle School, that they would be uh, changed and moved by the, the people of God in this congregation, the people who meet here on Sundays. And so, God, I just pray you'd bless us this morning uh, with this text, uh, that you would uh, give Casey the words to speak, uh, and and that we can just rejoice in the the stories of people being rescued from uh, the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved son in baptisms. So we praise you. Uh, In in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Hey, if the power ever goes out, don't look at me. I don't have any idea what to do. Um, People are looking at me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how any of that stuff works. Uh, man, I'm so glad you're here with us, and uh, if you're first time to be with us, man, you're here at a good time, and we get to celebrate uh, what new life looks like uh, through baptisms. And what's going to be on, you know, portrayed before you is a little bit about what's in this text. Uh, what's going to be on display at the end of the service is uh, the process of God confronting us about our sin and giving us grace that we can be saved. And really, if you look at this text, like everything that was read before verse 15, uh, verses 5 through 14, it's a depiction of how we actually do it. And so we have this kind of lofty picture that we love to see on the walls of Sunday school rooms, you know, of the the shepherd carrying the wounded sheep and bringing it back to the the herd and everyone celebrating. And we love to see that picture but how it's actually done in real life is kind of (laughs) prickly. And so we see that on display where we have this kind of step-by-step list, and there's a whole lot more steps than what you see in there that are kind of included. But in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, we see that Jesus says, if we're going to do life together, if we're going to be healthy, if any family is going to make it, if friends are going to survive, if marriages are going to be sustained, if a church is going to be healthy, we have to learn how to confront. Now, that's kind of like, that's kinda like uh, some hard medicine. You know, if you, if you think about this, I want to make sure you know what we're thinking about. We're not talking about confrontation that happens online with people you don't know and you can hate freely and you just kind of type something out to them and send it on. We're not talking about something distant. We're talking about confrontation with people whom you love and you're scared to death that if there's confrontation that happens, they might run and you might lose them. We're talking about what brothers are supposed to do with brothers and what parents and kids are supposed to do and what husbands and wives are supposed to do. We're talking about what churches are supposed to do with one another because we are prone to wonder. We're prone to be that sheep and to leave the flock of God and we're prone to be exposed and we're prone to believe wrong things. We're prone to forget the things that we once knew and they don't find action in our practice. We're prone to let sin enter into our lives and start to take over while we're trying to make a treaty with it like it's going to hold that battle line that you have when it's a cancer that wants to destroy all we're prone to wonder and we need one another like this is a this is a a hard thing that jesus teach i'm okay (laughs) i'm okay i got choked up on my own spit sorry (laughs) this is a hard thing that jesus teaches like, what does Jesus have for us? Or, or what, what if I don't like it? Like, is it still something that's good for me? Like, that's maybe a better question. Like, is this good medicine? And is it like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? That's Mary Poppins. Like, like what if I actually need this, but I don't want it? What if it scares me? Like, like what if the healing words of Jesus taste really bad Or or what if the healing salve of Jesus' words cause a guttural response that you want to expel it? My mom, uh, when I was growing up, she coined all these phrases, and I mean, I think they're hers. I mean, if you've heard it from your mom, then she got it from my mom, all right? Uh, But one of the phrases she coined that I never understood was, the kitchen is closed at a certain time. And I never understood that because I could just walk in there anytime I wanted. And that has nothing to do with this analogy, but it was a phrase she coined. The other one that she coined was, my children do not have the right to be picky eaters. And man, we would hear it all the time and uh, that would come out so you have to finish your vegetables and it makes sense because no kid naturally or very few kids after they've had mac and cheese or chicken fingers and ketchup which people if you still put ketchup on everything it is time to evolve all right (laughs) Um, but you know after you've had these type of things you know after you've had the stuff that comes on the kids menu uh, you really don't want green vegetables and if you don't get green vegetables you're going to die, okay? (laughs) Write that down. Uh, You're going to die. And so it's just going to be a slow, awful death. Eat your vegetables. But kids wouldn't do it. Very few kids would do it. And so she would say, man, you don't have a right to do that. And uh, they tried to apply that. My mom tried to apply that to me um, one evening with sauerkraut. Anybody out there eat sauerkraut? yeah, you shouldn't. Um, it's awful. I mean, it's awful. The, he- the, the healthy benefits of sauerkraut are through the roof. I actually read about it. Um, it's not worth it. Uh, death is better. <laughs> but she tried to apply that to me. Uh, my kids do not have the right to be picky eaters. And like until I vomited it up, that was never applied to sauerkraut again in our household. Sometimes things that are good for us, have a reaction in us, and we want to expel them away from us. And so when Jesus tells us this, he is talking to his disciples, and we turn a corner, and so Jesus is walking toward his death, Upon the cross, he's walking toward Jerusalem and he starts to really focus on his disciples. He starts to look at them and to say, I want to prepare you for what's going to happen after I die and even what happens after I'm resurrected. In this life together, there are rules. And so last week we looked at that we have to protect one another, that we have to call sin dangerous, that we can't just like play with it and it's going to be okay, that we have to do that. And this week it says we have to not just care about our sin. We have to care about the sins of our brothers and sisters, and we have to confront it. And that's, that's pretty scary. And so we have to decide before we get into this, are these the healing words of Jesus? We have to decide what Peter said in John 6, verse 68 through 69. In John 6, like Jesus' popularity, it kind of spiked, and then he starts saying some hard things, and everyone starts to abandon him. And at one point, he looks at the disciples, and he says, are you guys going to leave me also? Like, if what I'm saying, are you going to abandon me also? And what happens is Peter stands up, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so he looked at Jesus and said, I believe you are the Messiah King who's come to save us from our sins and your words have life in them. And so do the words of Jesus have life in them when we don't like what they say? See, that's actually the only time that you know that Jesus is Lord of your life. If you only follow Jesus when you're like, hey, explain it to me, you're just agreeing with Jesus. You're not actually obeying Jesus. And so this is going to enter into something that is difficult. This, this teaching, Jesus is leading us into something that's uncomfortable, but absolutely necessary. Like if we're going to experience real life-giving community on this side of heaven, Matthew 18 is the point where he looks at us and he says, there's going to have to be confrontation." Like, Jesus is teaching that this life together, it's going to include protection, that we take our sins serious, but it's also going to include love, that we take the sin of our brother and sister serious. And so, some of you are are scared to death. Like, you're like, confront? Oh my gosh. And I I just want to say, like, man, these are Jesus' words. If in your Bible you see that they're red words, that they are words of life. This is the rod and staff that comfort us in the dark valley. When Jesus' words start to take us in a direction that we're unsure about and starts to lead us down into the valley where it's really, really scary, just like Psalms 23, the deep, dark valley of the shadow of death, the words of Christ, the words of Scripture are what comfort us and guide us. And so these are Jesus' words. However, if you're hearing this and you're like, confront, yes, finally, I've been making some list. Slow down, Turbo. These are words of life, not words of bludgeoning. These are to help grow. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at this two parts. We're going to ask the question, why must we confront? And there's some clues in the text of what was read before verse 15, and there's some clues in the text that we're going to look at, but then we're going to look at how do we confront, and we're going to see kind of some some guidelines um, that it's never worked out real, real clean, but some guidelines to lead us. So let's take a look at this. So first, why confront? And so why do we confront? Why do healthy people, healthy families, healthy churches, they all need healthy environments of confrontation, and you're about to experience something incredible. I became a preacher today. I have alliterated my points with C's, all of them with C's. And so I was so, I mean, three of them just kind of happened. I was like, oh man, we need one more C. And I made it work out. And so this is it, if you're taking notes. First, Jesus commands us. It's commanded. The second one, it's corporal. Now, this is where I had to stretch. That's Latin for body. It's for bodies. Now, that's where my snooty college education uh, finally came into effect. And so we pull out an ancient dead language. And so it's corporal. So it's family. We have to do it because cancer. Sin is like cancer. We have to do it because it's certain. Sin is certain to come. And so let's take a look at this. First, it's commanded confrontation is commanded. In verse 15, look at what it says. It says, if your brother sins against you. Now, the word if is a, con, a conjunction. Now, if you grew up uh, watching TV, you're singing conjunction, function. Uh, no, wait a minute. No, that's not it. Con, yeah. Con, connect, con, conjunction, junction, what is your function? Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up watching that. Um <laughs> But a conjunction is connecting two things together. But in in Greek, uh, conjunctions and prepositions are kind of loose. You have to use the surrounding context to help derive it. And so a lot of commentaries are talking about this. It is translated as if, but it could just as easily be translated as when your brother sins against you or though your brother sins against you. And so the idea is it's leaning that if you want to live in the world of if, you're going to live in that world not very long because it's going to happen. If people live around people, you are going to get sinned against. Sin is going to come out of you. Sin is going to come out of them. And then you're going to have to learn, how can I have a relationship with someone who's let me down, with someone who's hurt me, with someone who didn't show up when they were supposed to show up and left me vulnerable? How am I going to have a relationship with them. And so it's commanded. Look at what goes on. If your brother sins against you or when your brother sins against you, the command, go. It says, go, tell him his fault. Go is a command. It's actually a present active imperative, which just means this, that it's something that you do, but it keeps having a consequence. And so the idea is, man, there's going to be a go and a go again and a going and a good Lord, we're still going. I mean, there's going to be a constant evolving need to confront sin. It's not going to be a one-time event. It's not going to be a one-time event. And it's important because it's corporal, meaning it's for the body. Confrontation is needed to keep the body, the family, together and healthy. Like this, like look at verse 1. Look at the brother language. So, look, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother back. This is meant for people to do life together. This is what keeps families together. This is what keeps churches together. This is what it means to have a relationship. This is what keeps marriages together. This is what keeps friends together. The idea of I'm going to have to come and confront you, and I expect you, you're going to have to come confront me, and in that moment, I'm going to have to have a certain amount of like stillness in my soul, not just to react. It's commanded. It's corporal. It's for bodies. It's for families. It's for churches. It's super important because we're all going to have to go through Cruddy Valley to get to Family Mountain. If you've been through Discover Free City, um, it's everyone's favorite. We draw a little swivel line, and we talk about what happens when you meet Bill, and it's always Bill. And so when you meet Bill, man, you are on Awesome Hill. And everything about Bill, man, you just met Bill. You love Bill. Man, you like Bill. The things that Bill likes are the things that you tell people you like, but you don't really like those things. You just dress like you like to go camping. You don't want to go camping, but Bill goes camping. You think Bill is awesome. And man, everything he says, he laughs at your jokes, you laugh at his jokes. Like, man, you find Bill in a room, and you guys get to the edge of the room, and you talk about the rest of the room, break some commandments, just kind of talk about them. I mean, you love Bill, and it looks like from Awesome Hill that Family Mountain is just one step away, but you cannot get to Family Mountain until you fall off the cliff into Cruddy Valley. See, what happens in relationships is there's a moment that sin comes out of you because of pressure and time and circumstances, or there's a moment that sin comes out of Bill and he disappoints you or he hurts you. And in that moment, you have a choice. Do I press through this process or do I go find Bill 2.0? Do I step through this process or do I find a different city group? Do I step through this process or do I find a new church? Do I step through this process or do I find new friends and a new school and a new job? Or do I step through this process or do I find a new wife or a new husband? This is meant for bodies. This is what keeps people together. There has to be confrontation of sin. And in Cruddy Valley, like you have to be honest about sin, shortcomings, hurt. You can't just excuse it away. If every time you enter into this, you're like, oh, you heard me say it like that. I didn't mean it like that. I'm a Christian. I would never say that. You're probably not being honest. We have to be honest about these things. And in that choice, you're choosing to climb up to Family Mountain or Lowell. He always draws a little line, Elder Lowell here. And he says, you can climb up to Family Mountain or you can just veer off into the endless trail of bitterness and just be lost forever. And so we all want to be at Family Mountain. Now I know Family Mountain sounds like the place where you get tricked and they steal your kidneys. That's not that's Candy Mountain, not Family Mountain. It's a different place. But but Family Mountain is the place where you feel known and you can be who you really are. You don't have to hide behind your North Face stuff and lie about the All Trails app. You can say, man, I just wear it because it looks cool. Family Mountain is the place that people know that you're going to disappoint, but they accept you and bring you in anyways. Family Mountain is the place that you can walk through and disappoint, and you can have certainty that they'll come after you, and they'll receive you. Family Mountain is what we want more than anything. But you have to go through Cruddy Valley. And so, like, when we're talking about, man, it's commanded, why? It's commanded for bodies. Latin word corporal. It's commanded for bodies to stay together. And like the question is, do you know what keeps families together? This kind of confrontation. Do you know what keeps churches together? This kind of confrontation. Do you know what keeps marriage together? This kind of confrontation. And so first it's, it's commanded. Jesus says, go and keep going. Second, man, it's the, for the body Like it's for people. It's what holds things together. Third, cancer. Like confrontation is necessary because sin is everywhere. Like sin is a cancer that will spread and kill. And like that's the picture of verses eight and nine. Look back at verses eight and nine. The picture is if your eye, your hand, or your foot cause you to sin, treat with it seriously because it's malignant and it's going to metastasize. What sin does is like what cancer does. It goes to healthy cells and it starts to reprogram them to produce death. And so it loves to step into healthy relationships and reprogram that relationship to hurt, to not forgive. It loves to step into healthy friend groups to cause suspicion. It loves to step into healthy churches to be like, well, surely we don't mean that. And it loves to spread. And so, verses eight and nine, it says, listen, man, we got to treat it seriously. It's commanded, it's corporal, it's cancer, it's certain. Like, confrontation is certain because we are all prone to wonder. Like verse 15, it's already looked at the fact that if could easily be when. But we also see it in verses 12 through 14, like the leaving of the 99 to go after the one. The sheep that wanders off, like someone has to go rescue that sheep. Now that is certainly a picture of Jesus leaving the courts of heaven to come and get us because we all wander away in sin and to bring us back into a body where we're supposed to celebrate the return but it's also what keeps a family together, what keeps a church together. I'm willing to run after you when you run into isolation or when you get caught in false belief, when you're prone to not want to believe the clear, true teachings of Scripture. And this isn't like license. I mean, Matthew 18, you got to be careful. It's not license to be like, you know, every little thing, I'm declaring Matthew 18. You know, I declared it. I didn't say it. I declared it. It's not saying that. It's hard-hearted sin that looks at clear teaching of Scripture that's dangerous, and saying, I don't care. Or it's giving lip service. Yeah, yeah, I believe that, but keep doing it. Like, this is certain to happen because we are like sheep that are prone to wonder. And that's so wonderful to look at the picture and the watercolor picture in the children's book. In life, this process is a little bit more prickly. And so the first is why? And man, I alliterated. That's the best part of the sermon. I right? had four C's, commanded, corporal, cancer, certain. And the alliteration stops. And so now we go to how to confront. And so follow these steps with me. First, look at verse 15. We go to gain. Look at those two words. It says if your brother sins against you, go and tell his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And so Matthew 18 is not about going and getting. Like it's not about just proving, man, they're wrong and they're crazy. Let's push them out and get rid of them. It's about prayerfully going and gaining because I love you and I don't want to see you destroy your life. It's all this looking like Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6 where it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And so it means someone could be like a friend to you, meaning you think they're your friend, but when it comes to confronting you on something, really what they're thinking is, "Man, I don't really love you. I love me, and confronting you is going to be messy. So I just say, oh, you're fine. The world's broken. You're fine. See, if you love someone... You know that you confront them on something, it might get messy and you might lose them, but not even that, man, hurting them might be really hard to walk it out. It's gonna be messy. And so Proverbs 27 is talking about this going to gain that someone who will confront you really loves you. Now, now sometimes people just love to be right, so they just love to confront. It's going to gain, not going to be right. You know, that verse 7 Man, sometimes the confrontation looks like this because verse 7 says, you know, he who is full loaves honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. See, sometimes we start feasting upon something and we think it's helping us or filling something, but it's decaying us out and someone has to come and plead and say, listen, I'm trying to gain you because I love you. You're killing yourself. What you think is helping you is Poison. And so the first is this going to gain. And man, it's all over the scriptures. King David needed the prophet Nathan. Nathan came with a little trickery, a little story. Hey man, this dude had a sheep. He really loved the sheep. He went and stayed at this guy's house who had lots of sheep. That guy murdered the sheep and then fed it to him. Really bad, evil, prankster. And David gets irate. And he says, you're the man. You did that with Bathsheba. You took a man's wife and you orchestrated his murder. And God saw it. God saw it. And David writes the 51st Psalm. What would the Bible be like without the 51st Psalm? And so David, man, that was a perfect bling. What would the Bible be like without the 51st Psalm? Bling. Um, And so David needed Nathan, but Paul needed Peter. You know, If you remember Peter in Galatians 2, he was eating with all his Gentile brothers because, man, there's freedom in Christ, and we can now eat bacon, and that's an incredible thing. And so he's eating with them, but all of a sudden his buddies from you know, Jerusalem show up, and he falls back into a pattern that says, man, I can't eat that, and I can't eat with them. And so Paul confronts him, and he says, listen, man, you forgot the freedom of the gospel. You're not acting out of the gospel. Everything is at risk. See, sin sometimes of our past has a way of pulling us back in. And we need people like Paul to confront us when we're like Peter's. But man, Paul needed Barnabas to confront him. And and so if you remember in Acts, man, the first missionary journey, you have Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark. And they are going out planting churches. And somewhere along the way in Acts 13, we see that Barnabas turns back. And we don't know why it turns back. Like, like maybe Barnabas got sick and he just, man, I don't know if I can make it. Maybe he just got homesick. Man, I miss Jerusalem. Maybe there was like a business opportunity. Maybe an old girlfriend messaged him and she was the one that got away. All the country songs are about it. We don't know what happened. But John Mark turns back. And so then they come back and they rally to go on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. He's a part of the team. And Paul said, that guy? He's a loser. He's a quitter. I don't want to go with him. And it says that they had such a sharp dispute in Acts 15 that they parted ways. But man, we know that something changed in Paul's heart because we get to the end of 2 Timothy chapter four and he's pinning the last words he ever wrote. And he says, man, send to me John Mark. He is useful for me in ministry. See, like, Peter needed Paul, but Paul needed Barnabas, just like David needed the prophet Nathan. Like, man, go to gain, go to gain, go to gain. So, first, we we go to gain. Second, we go small and establish the evidence. Look at verse 16. It says, if he does not listen, so one on one. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is both Jesus being practical and Jesus being biblical. First, he's being practical because I might feel like something's wrong or I might feel like I've been sinned against. And I go talk to you and you're like, hey, man, I think you're being a baby about this. You're using that preacher hyperbole. You don't have a microphone. And I'm like, well, it's what I do. You know, I just put my hands out. It's what I do. So then I take someone with me, someone who is known to you in community, someone that you trust, and they might hear the story and they might be like, Casey, man, they're right. You're just being a baby about this. This might be normal every day, sin. This is not the crisis level that you're making it. And so someone to protect the accused, it's also someone to turn up the volume if the accused won't listen. Establish the evidence this is where it's being biblical. And so Jesus is pointing to Deuteronomy 19, where he's saying two or three brothers come together. You know, the one we already mentioned might be to protect the accused, like this is an exaggerated offense, or it might be to increase the volume. This is a serious offense. We see it too. We're scared for you. You know, or it's to Then provide a witness, so It's not just he said, she said, that someone stands between and says, man, this is what happened. This was the demeanor. This can be trusted. And so go to gain. If it doesn't work, the idea is go again to gain. You know, if it doesn't work, it's like, keep it small. Like, we're trying to handle this on a small level. Establish the evidence and try to win your brother. And then, you know, the third thing is repeat steps one and two. Go again and again to gain. Keep it small. Present the evidence. This is not a real simple thing. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, it says, if he refuses to listen to them, then it says, tell it to the church. And we're about to get there in just a second. But, like, I think there's a lot of time in that. Like, it's not just like, okay, I went on you one-on-one, check. I went with you with three brothers, check, check, check. And now church discipline. I mean, it's not there. It's a pleading and a going, man, we love you. Man, can you hear this? Do you see this? Do we see it wrong? Do you see the danger that's in front of you? I don't want to watch you destroy your life. I need you. And so it's like, present the evidence, go and go again. Present the evidence, go and go again. And then verse 17 gives way to if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And this brings us to the fourth point. Go to the church. And I'd say I classify, I'm going to talk about the debate. I classify, go to the church leadership. So look at this. So when it says the church, it's used church twice. Uh, this is definitely using the word ecclesia, which means assembly, which means the body. We like to talk about that in membership. You know, the, who's making a commitment, not just to leadership, not just to Jesus, but to one another. We're going to safeguard this place against sin and against wrong doctrine. And we're going to love one another, forgive one another. We're going to do Matthew 18 with one another. And we're going to do it with a pleading heart because we love you. We're not going to let you destroy yourself. Like this is all coming out. And I think what practical means of that is you go to church leadership to say, man, this is what's happened, man, this is what we've seen and we're worried and this is who else is gone and man, they establish it and we're just scared for them. And then church leadership, that can be a city group leader coming all the way up to the elder table, like church leadership. And this is for hard-hearted, high-handed sin, you know, this is, this is deep things that the scriptures are clear about, that there's an open rebellion. I don't care what it says. It doesn't make me happy. This is serious stuff. You know, church leadership then comes and tries to investigate and comes to plead, and if there's a refusal to listen, then it becomes church Discipline. And what that means is it becomes the evaluation of, man, we don't see the fruit of repentance coming out in your life. Like what makes a Christian is a Christian is repentance. Well, the path of a Christian is continued repentance, not self-righteousness. It's like, man, I blew it again, but Jesus is right. I'm throwing myself in. And so the question becomes, man, when we say this, you know, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector, is that loving? And the text says, yes. Yes, it's loving. Look at verse 8 and 9. Like, it's cutting off sin that is cancer that will destroy us. That's verse 8 and 9. Or yes, it's loving. Look at verse 6 and 7. Like, it's, it's not letting us normalize something that will hurt other believers. It's taking sin seriously. This is the leaving the 99 in search of the one. This is what's easy to love in watercolor, but in vivid life, it becomes a little bit more messy. And I just want to point out, what is The problem. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Listening means not just to you, but to the clear teaching of the scripture listen. Verse 16, if he does not listen, to the two or three witnesses. It doesn't mean just your preference. It means the clear teaching of Scripture. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, the clear teaching of Scripture. Or verse 17 goes on, if he refuses to listen even to the church, meaning like we're like, hey, no, this is what we've always been about. This is what it says. This is how we're trying to do this. It's talking about refusing to listen. And so the process, go and gain. Man, it's about gaining a brother, The process is go small, establish the evidence. You might be wrong. The process is repeat steps one and two, go and gain, go and gain, keep it small, present the evidence. Then we get to four, go to church leadership because it's about will we listen to the scriptures, will we listen to the scriptures, will we listen to the scriptures? Are Jesus's words the words of life even when I don't like how they taste? And then we end with great promise. Go in confidence. That doesn't mean you're not going to have fear, but go in confidence. Like that doesn't mean it's always going to go right or good or it won't be hard, but it's saying it is necessary. And Jesus gives us all kinds of things that says we can go in confidence. When someone is in clear rebellion of what the Bible says clearly, we can go in confidence. And so first go in confidence because Jesus says it's necessary. Verse 18, it says, truly I say to you. That's another way to say, I assure you, you can count on this. Like there is clarity. There is clarity about what God has said. It says, Jesus says, I say to you. What does the Bible say about this? Does it establish a right or does it establish a wrong? Where do we find ourselves in this? So there is confidence because we can go to what the Bible says. But there's also confidence because... Jesus has given authority. Look at verse 18. It goes on. Whoever, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, that's authority language. Binding, loosing. An action, a binding and loosing. Now, the question is, does this apply to pastors like me? Do we have incredible power and authority? And I want to say, of course. But I actually would say yes and no. I would say this applies to all Christians when they stand on the firm foundation of the scriptures that say, man, I know it doesn't feel like this but there's a clear reality that Jesus left heaven to unpack for us, to establish the Old Testament, to write his life, that we could see it in the New Testament, the apostles wrote his life down, that they might then go teach us about what it means, how to come out in life. Like there is a certainty and a confidence and authority there that when we stand on the word of God and we're like, man, I know it's hard, but I think this is true. Walking through this is real life. There's authority, and when we stand on the word of God, there is a binding and a loosing that comes from the power of heaven, not just a persuasion. And so there's a confidence, because Jesus says it's necessary. There's a confidence because the scriptures have authority and they're for our good and for our life. And then there's a confidence in the body when there's agreement. Look at verse 19. It says, again, I say to you, which means he's like, man, you've heard this. This has been said. This was Deuteronomy. Again, I say to you if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is about agreement in prayer and action on the basis of the leading of the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what prayer sounds like when someone you love is in a dangerous pattern? sounds desperate it sounds like you're appealing to something greater than you for an act of god to come upon them lord change them get in their way frustrate their efforts you said you came to destroy the works of the devil but it looks like the works of the devil are winning and then you appeal to the goodness of god his nature man you're merciful you said you were doing it. you keep your promises what you say you begin in them you will finish lord finish it sooner than later You appeal to the promises of God. Did you not say? Like the prayer that accompanies this from the basis of scripture is powerful and effective when we agree upon it. We're like, did he not say? And it's like searching, yes, he said that. Yes, yes, we can trust this. And he says, this kind of prayer is powerful. And when it's brought up out of the spirit with the foundation of the scriptures, it is effective. And so it starts alone. Man, you go to your brother hoping to gain your brother. It starts with trusted community. You go to establish the evidence. We all see it, and maybe that turns, and you see it wrong. Then it goes to church leadership, and then the church. And it just tells us, man, conflict will come, and this kind of conflict is needed to keep any bodies together. You know, if you look ahead, and this is next week in verse 21 through 35, we're going to have the title again, Life Together. So we, Life Together, Protect. Life Together, Confront. Life Together, Forgive. You've been forgiven. Forgive. Celebrate that sheep that comes back. You know, it's so much easier to celebrate a sheep because they're dumb, and you expect, it's not offensive when they wander off. You know, just like a small kid. I was at the football game and Cruz isn't small anymore, but we went to the bathroom. I was waiting at the exit. He went out the entrance and I lost him. I mean, I was panicked. (laughs) I mean, I was panicked. He's old enough to go back and find where we were. But then I had to face Kinsey. She's like, where's Cruz? I'm like, I lost him in the bathroom. (laughs) And so then we were panicked. And man, it was cold. I was like, "Hey, I'll just go hang out in the bathroom until you know you know comes back there." Uh, and so we were scared to death. And when we got the text that he was with his cousin and everything was okay, man, I just wanted to hug him because I was scared that I lost him. And then I wanted to be like, "You go out the exit." <laughs> See, it's easy to forgive a sheep when it wanders off because you're like, oh, I'm not really offended. It's easy to forgive a kid when they wander off because, man, they're a kid and you love them. What happens when a friend or an equal wanders off and it feels more volition, it feels more violent? The Bible says celebrate their return. I was, um, just a a while ago, I mean, I was watching um, Orange County Choppers, and so I don't think it's I don't think it. I don't think. I don't think they make any more shows. But uh, it's where, like, I remember thinking, like, man, you probably have to have like really serious engineers who build motorcycles so it works. If you watch Orange County Choppers, you realize that's not the case at all. I mean, they just start kind of welding stuff together, throw an engine on it, and it is good. And so, but if you know anything about the story, you have Paul Junior and Paul Senior, and they have a violent relationship. And so, I mean, you watch it to feel better about your family reactions because you're like, well, man, we are better than that. But sometime in the season, later seasons, man, it was a deathly silent treatment between Paul Jr. and Paul Sr. And there was some sort of explosion, and they were interviewing Paul Jr. afterwards. And kind of the question about, man, do you want to make things right with your dad came up. And it's kind of this moving moment where he kind of says something in the interview to this effect. He says, I want to make things right, but it needs to start with my dad. And then he goes on to say, he's my dad. He's in the place of authority. And so if he wants to make things right with me, he needs to initiate it. Is that not what God did? Is that not what God did? One, to make things right with us. He sent Jesus' son to enter into humanity, to come confront us about our sin, to offer us life upon the cross, to resurrect, to lead the way, so that we could celebrate new life, so that we would have rules to live by one another that says, man, we have to protect each other by fighting sin. We're gonna have to confront each other. We have to forgive one another. How? Jesus forgave us a debt we could never pay. And so right there on this canceled show, Orange County Choppers, it's displaying the gospel. Are you worried for someone? Man, pray up. Go. Gain. Man, if it doesn't work, pray up, go, gain. If it doesn't work, pray up, go, gain your brother or your sister. If it doesn't work, man, grab some people they know and that they love and go and gain them. This is how community works. Man, you know something that's really beautiful about a dinner table? Is that a dinner table that's supposed to be a seat for you? meaning you can have the worst day and really blow it. But man, there's supposed to be a coming together where we can sit together because we're a family. And we get to reenact what Revelation says is coming. The supper of the Lamb where you have a place because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life that somehow was settled before the foundation of the earth because of God's goodness and his grace, and he's a promise-keeping God that you are included in, and you get words like adoption, that's how you got in, or grafted in, that's how you got in, by the saving of your sins, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, poured out for you. You are a part of a family, but even in all the beauty of that, that family needs protection, protection. That family needs confrontation. That family needs forgiveness. And every week we come to the end of this service and we invite you to a family table where there is a place for you. If you trust and treasure Jesus, man, there is a place for you. The way we take communion is we start on the bread side. It's broken off for you. It's handed for you. Something is declared over you. The body of Christ broken for you. Then you take it, you dip it either into the stoneware or the glassware. Stoneware is wine, glassware is grape juice, and you remember that the blood of Christ was spilt for your life. And there's a place for you because it was purchased. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I pray that, man, if these words scare us to death, Lord, I pray that we would see them as words of life. And Lord, I pray you protect us. Lord, within this, there's a wrong way to confront and we've all done it and we've all experienced it. Sometimes in confrontation, we, we make up a backstory that may or may not be true and we're acting out something different and we don't know the whole story. Make us a loving people who go to gain. Hold us together, Jesus. Lord Jesus, right now, there are friends that need to be reconciled to friends. Right now, there is... There are husbands that just need to squeeze the hand of their wife and say, man, I love you. And you were confronting me and I'm sorry. And so Lord, man, without your precious blood, man, all we're going to do is walk away and go to 2.0 and 3.0 and 4.0 until we just give up the desire to even be connected to people. Save us, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.